you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 1. Before we get started, can we just let Hunter know what a good job he did this morning? It's, It's tough on me when I see, like, we've had Connor lead before, now Hunter's leading, and I'm a thousand years old. When we got here, you were in like fifth grade, sixth grade? Oh, my goodness. I'm old. Um, Seriously, though, watching these young guys come up here and lead, uh, maybe we don't recognize it always because we see them kind of rotate into the worship team. Uh, A lot of our worship team members have come up and grazed up through West Mobile Baptist Church. Uh, We've got several of these young guys. Grayson is one of them, uh, Connor, Hunter, who God has called them to lead worship vocationally. And, uh, and, and a lot of that, God has called them to that, but you guys have fueled that and have helped them along in that. So thank you for your faithfulness to uh, just disciple these young men. Uh, Haggai chapter 1. The, the title, if you want to put a title on it today, is it's a problem of priorities. A problem of priorities. Uh, if you look there in your, uh, if you got the note sheet, and we're going to have it up here in a minute, we're going to have the timeline, and we're going to talk about the history. Uh, but really, I really kind of, I'm asking you to do me a favor. I, I, God has already ordained everything we're going to do today. He, he's in charge of all of it. Uh, he laid it on Hunter's heart, which songs to pick. And the very first song, to me, started us off pointing us toward this. And every one of the songs, I'm going to build my life on you. And, and all the different things that we've sung so far this morning talk to us about our priorities. Where is our priority in worship? Where is our focus uh, and, and that's the message of the book of Haggai. Uh, he gives us in the first verse the date of his writing. It's September of f- around 520 B.C. He introduces the primary players. He talks about the prophecy itself. Now, it's interesting to note that this is the first of the minor prophets written following the Babylonian exile. So, so you're going to get two more, Zechariah and Malachi, who are written after. But this is the first of the books written following the Babylonian exile which was about 70 years. Um, This is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Obadiah is the first. I think it's maybe a little fitting since I think we preached six sermons out of 22 verses of Obadiah, and we're looking like we're going to get five or six out of Haggai. Uh, But but that's because these, these minor prophets, these Old Testament B.C. words are just as applicable for us today as they have ever been. And I hope to be able to prove that to you as we go along. Let's look at the history real quick. So in 586, the temple is destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar comes in with the Babylonian Empire. In 538, miraculously, supernaturally, God puts it on the heart of a pagan king to to allow them to come. It's King Cyrus of Persia. He sends them back to Jerusalem, and he finances their efforts. Supernatural. By the way, prophetic fulfillment, even in the fact that King Cyrus did that, Uh, I wish we had time to really parse all that out, but we don't for time's sake today. But I'll just encourage you, read the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra is the book that talks about the history of what's going on leading up to and including uh, this prophetic book. So Ezra 1, you'll find King Cyrus of Persia sends the Jews who have been exiled back to Jerusalem. In 536 B.C., Ezra returned to Jerusalem with about 50,000 Jews, and their purpose in going back to Jerusalem was to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. 
In about 535, they rebuilt the altar, they resumed sacrificial ceremonies, and they laid the foundation for the temple. You can see that in Ezra 3. In 520, there was opposition from the local Samaritans, the neighboring peoples, that stopped the work. You can read about that in Ezra 4. And that is the initiating event that causes Haggai to hear from the Lord and to bring a prophecy to Israel. And again, I want to show you this. 520 B.C., God speaks to Israel. In 2023 A.D., God is going to speak to us through the same words. And, And I promise you, if you'll just be patient with me, I'll lay that out for you. Until 515 B.C., the temple is finally rebuilt in Ezra 6. So the message that Haggai brings, the the message that God gives to the prophet, the intention was really to push the people into reprioritizing what they're doing so that they would go back to the work of building the temple. That was their mission. That was why they were sent back was to rebuild the temple. They had gotten off track. Now, I know that none of us ever get off track. So maybe this doesn't apply to us, but I think it does. Now, When it comes to priorities, when it comes to the importance, uh, when it comes to what this text is going to tell us, I want to just give you two statements up front about priorities, okay? Number one, our priorities reveal the object, intent, and extent of our worship. Our priorities reveal the object, intent, and extent of our worship. The object of our worship is revealed in what we prioritize. Again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you show me your checkbook and your calendar, I can show you what you worship. If you show me what your routine looks like, I can show you who or what you worship. So it shows us the object. It also shows the extent of our worship. How how far does our worship go? Some of us only worship God about that much if you really look at our checkbook and our calendar. If you really dig deep, we only worship God a little bitty bit. What we're trying to do is we're trying to dip our toe into the things of the Lord, making us feel better, keeping us out of hell. I'm not exactly sure. I can't talk to you about your your reasonings. Everybody's got their own kind of mindset about this. But but if you study and look at what we do with our time and the things that we focus on, the things we think about, listen, if you know more about your favorite team than you know about your Bible, you've got a priority problem. If, If you give more time in your life to climbing the corporate ladder than you do honoring the Lord and taking the gospel as it is to people as they are, you have a priority problem. There are so many things that we can look at, and this is the same exact thing that we see in this book. Our priorities reveal the object, intent, and extent. What is the intention of your worship? Is it to feel good about yourself? Is it to stick that toe in and walk away going, yeah, I'm a good person, I'm just as good as so-and-so? By the way, if you want to play just as good as so-and-so, unless so-and-so is Jesus, you're coming up short. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we do. If we set our, if you if you try to do better than me, listen, man, set your bar higher. I mean that that's that's low rent. Set your bar to say, I want to live like Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in me. Number two, our priorities don't necessarily reflect what we claim to worship, but they always reveal what we truly worship. Your priorities won't necessarily reflect what you claim to worship. Now, you can claim to worship God, but if we look at your priorities, if we look at your to-do list, it may tell a different story. By the way, some of you have a Monday that tells a different story than your Sunday. Sometimes your Friday night or Saturday night tells a different story than your Sunday. Listen, I've lived it. 
I had a church years ago, I won't say who it is because they may eventually see this video and <laughs> I don't need any hate mail, I get enough already. But anyway, uh, there was a church that, that we, we, I went and sang there with my mom's church choir and they came to me and said, they, they came to my mom's house and met with me and said, we want you to come lead worship for us and we're going to pay you. And they were going to pay me more than my little part-time job was making while I was in school. I told them, let me pray about it. Y'all know what let me pray about it is? It's the Baptist no. Oh, let me pray about it. And then I came back to him and said, you know, I just really don't feel like that's what the Lord wants me to do right now. You know why the Lord didn't want me to do it? Jeff Foley, you know why? Because I was going to be in Cashews on Friday night and probably Saturday night if you didn't watch me. And I wasn't, listen, my hypocrisy only goes so far. I was not going to show up to church and lead worship when I had been out at the bar. And also I scared I was running into a deacon. Some of of y'all got that, some of y'all didn't. See, I've lived it. My Friday night and Saturday night didn't look like what I wanted people to see on Sunday. But if you looked at my priorities, my priorities revealed that I worshipped me. They reflected, they revealed that I worshipped me. Now, again, I am convinced that none of us would get our priorities out of line when it comes to our time, talents, and treasures. If we were to take a poll in here, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you had your priorities out of line, I bet you nobody would raise their hand, but I'm going to raise mine. See, what y'all don't know about these messages, I try, to, I try to tell you this, I'm not sure if you believe me, I'm not sure I say it right. These things beat me down. <laughs> Listen, don't, don't ever think that, man, Brother Kevin unloaded on us. All I did is pass, pass on the blessing. <laughs> when I, I've got 15 or so pages of work on these two chapters and, and every one of them has cut me to the bone. And it's given me an opportunity, a, 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 an encouragement, a challenge to re-examine my priorities. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you, as we look at how Haggai provides us a view into how the Lord feels about misplaced priorities, I want you to examine yourself further than that. I want you to ask the Lord to examine you. Let Him look at your checkbook. Let Him look at your calendar. Allow Him to look at your heart and see where your priorities are lined up. And then be willing to give him control of how you prioritize things in your life. If you would stand with me, we're going to read the first six verses of chapter 1 of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. We're going to cover those guys more later. The Lord of the armies says this, These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house, talking about the temple, lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. By the way, that, that's kind of like a tip-off. If, if a person in authority ever says, Now listen, I'm going to ask you this again. Think carefully about how you answer. They know your life. Just heads up. So he he says, think carefully about your ways. And then verse 6, he lays out our problem with priorities. He says, you've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes but you never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. It really is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts down to the marrow, to the bone, to the joint. 
and it has cut me. God, I pray that today, if there's any person under the sound of my voice with priorities that are out of whack, I pray you would cut them with this today so that they can make amends, so that they can make corrections, so that we can be all that we can be for Jesus, so that we can be salt and light, so that we can be the hands and feet of Christ. Lord, would you speak today through your word, through your flawed servant, for the glory of your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Two things I want us to look at. I want us to look at the people's point, and I want you to look at God's point. All right? So number one, their defensiveness. That's really what you see in verses 2, 3, and 4. They are being defensive about what they're doing. So the, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet. The prophet brings it to the religious and, and uh, social leaders, the government leaders. And here is the charge that God gives. These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Two things there. Number one, it ain't their place to say when the time of the Lord's house to be rebuilt is. See, when you're trying to dictate something to God, you have outstepped your authority. Uh, it's like the old bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. Chief, you're about three seats off. God needs to be your pilot. If, you, if, if he lets you co-pilot, that's fine, but you don't get to touch the stick. You better be out there in the, you better be back there in coach trying to share Jesus. So, so they're taking liberties with what God has called them to do. But then notice how God refers to them. He says, these people. He doesn't say my people. He says, these people. The initiating issue that brought about this message is that the people had set their own priorities rather than allowing God to do it. It's simply a matter of priority because they went from rebuilding the temple of God, God's house, to rebuilding their houses and building up their treasures. It is amazing to me how consistent, consistent the human condition is when it comes to the root of our disobedience. Listen, we are not consistent in any other manner. Most of us are not truly consistent in any other area across history. But man, we are consistent when it comes to disobedience because it's rooted in selfishness. What about pride? What about pride? It's rooted in selfishness. What about idolatry? Again, if you climb to the top of any idol that you build in your life, you're going to find a mirror because you are only worshiping that thing in order to bring yourself comfort. He says, these people, not my people. Y'all know we do that? Does anybody else in here do that? You may not even realize you do that. When, when I'm talking to April about something going on in the house, I'll say, hey, have you seen your son? In other words, he's done something I don't like or I need him to do something. Hey, have you seen your daughter, what she did? Hey, how about when you've got a friend that gets in on Facebook doing something stupid, or if you've got a local news, there's a little local news site over in Houston County, and somebody, I won't give it an advertisement here, but somebody, like, you know, you turn up on there, and they say, hey, you see your buddy? You see your buddy was on so-and-so? Check him out. Never do you say that when whoever you're talking about is doing something good. You know, Tyler Laney brings home straight A's. Hey, look what my kid brought home from school. Tyler Laney does the right things. And uh, hey, my, I'm proud of my kids. When God says these people and not my people, he shows that there is a break in the familial relationship. And, and just like every other time in our lives, when you feel distant from God, guess who moved? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not moving. He is immovable and unshakable. He is the Jehovah God. He is the eternal God of the universe. If you feel distant from Him, check your priorities. 
Check your heart. Check your situation, your circumstances. When he says these people, he is letting you know that they are already walking away from him. They're already being disobedient. And then in verses 3 and 4, he uses this weird phrase. And your, your translation may something a little different, say something just a little different when it says uh, in verse 4, is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses? When I looked at that, I was like, is that shiplap? Is it being watching like one of these HGTV shows back then to have those? My goodness, please tell me there wasn't shiplap in BC. My, my, my goodness, how do we live? No, it's not what he's talking about at all. When he says paneled houses, what it really should translate for us is they had seen to every detail and spared no expense in their own structures. So they had built for themselves classy, nice, completely finished houses with every detail. They could have been on BC HGTV. That's a lot of letters to put together. But if there was a BC HGTV, they could have all had their homes on it. Now, does God not want you to have a nice home? Does He want you to live in a house that's in disrepair? No. But He wants you to have your priorities right. He's telling them, I told you to go back and build my house, and you went back and started building your house. I didn't, I didn't tell you to build your house. I told you to build my house. What should you have done? You should have completed the work God had called you and sent you to do before you started doing anything else. This was key here because the temple was where God's presence would dwell, where their worship would be centered, and where they could remember their position as His possession. And let me, let me say that again. There are three things that are important about the temple. It was where God's presence would dwell on earth. It was where their worship would be centered, and it was where they could remember their position as His possession. See, if they were His possession, they wouldn't be these people, they'd be my people. But they had separated themselves from Him because of how they had lived their lives. This was not a geography problem. This was not a construction problem. It was a heart problem. I can't remember who said it, but at the heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. You see this in how they were living their lives. Building a nice house is not a sin, but it is when it's out of priority with what God has called you to do. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. He's quoting Isaiah 29, 13. Did you catch how he begins? How, how does he begin it? This people. Not that much different than what? These people. What he's saying is they're not my people. They're doing their own thing. They're, they're, they worship me with their heart, I mean, with their lips, but their heart's worshiping something else. And let me just tell you, if your heart is not worshiping the Lord, it's worshiping you. And it's on some level. So I'm going to ask you three questions. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions today. I'm going to give you four questions that Jesus asks. But I'm going to ask you three. Do you want God in your vicinity or do you want God in your midst? Because see, that's where priorities get important. It's not just that I want God somewhere. Do you want Him in your midst? How about do you want Him in your country or do you want Him in your home? Some of us need to worry less about who's going to be elected and more about what our kids are doing and seeing. About what we're modeling for our children. About the fact that we have lost neighbors around us that are going to die and go to hell if we don't try to take them the gospel. How do we hold our face up? How do we stand before God saying we did everything we could do when we didn't even go next door and say Jesus loves you and He wants to reconcile you to the Father? And finally, do you want God in your home or do you want Him in your heart? 
See, it's a matter of nearness. It's a matter of access. I think I'm safe in saying this. If any of us here today go to the doctor tomorrow and we get a terminal diagnosis, we get a, a, a scary diagnosis, if we experience loss, if we lose our job, if we have financial problems, if our marriage is about to be destroyed, if we're in a situation like that, where do you want God to be? Do you want God to be in the country? you want to be in the vicinity? you want to be somewhere around? Or do you want the friend that sticks closer than a brother? Do you want the God that will never leave you and never forsake you? See, when you want God, when you want something from God, when you have a need, when you recognize your lostness, when you recognize your brokenness, when you recognize your insignificance, you want a God that's tangible. You want a God that's reachable. You want a God that is touchable. But sadly, I think most of the time, we don't want Him that close unless we need something. Can I just tell you, that's not how He operates. Ephesians 3.20, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do, above and beyond all that we can ask or think. We, man, how y'all quoted that before? How many of you have said something that you, maybe you remember in the King James? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. But here, here's the, now y'all know where that's at, Ephesians 3.20. Here's the last part of it. According to the power that works, where? In us. He is able to do, let me read it from the CSB, He is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, but it's according to the power that works in us. If it works in you, He wants you to work. If it works in you, He wants to be your number one priority. If it's going to work in you, it has to be Christ in you. He would say this to the the Colossian church. He would say, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the key, is the in you. He works in you. He works through you. If you're not careful, He will work in spite of you. By not making rebuilding the temple their priority, they were really saying that God wasn't their priority. Here's a question we need to ask based on this passage. What do the things we prioritize reveal about our devotion and trust in God? What do the things that we prioritize reveal about our devotion and trust in God? You see, they didn't need to just stop building their houses. They needed to start rebuilding His house. In Luke 15, it tells the story of the prodigal son. And at one point, this really remarkable, beautiful picture the, the prodigal son recognizes where he is and what he's doing, and he says, I'm going to get up, get out of this pigsty, and I'm going to go where? To my father. You see, it wasn't enough for him to get out of the mud. He had to go to his father. See, it wasn't enough for him to say, if the story read like this, uh, and the prodigal came to his senses, David, and he got up out of the pigsty, and he dusted himself off, and he went into town, and he found a shower, and he cleaned himself up, and he got a respectable job and he made enough money to buy him some clothes and and he started living better. He quit partying and carrying on and he ended up building a great life for himself. He he married a woman. He had some kids. They were were good people. They were good. They were fixtures in the community. (laughs) That would not be the story of the prodigal. I think that's some of us. I think some of us are trying to get out of the mud and clean ourselves up, but we won't go back to the Father. The priority is going back to the Father, not getting out of the mud. 
God uses this language to remind them of every detail of their homes being finished and completed and fancy and fine, and yet they were told to rebuild his house and his house was still in ruins. This points to our tendency of spending more on our creature comforts than, than we do on what the, the Lord has given us to do. We neglect the things of God so that we can pour into the things of us. Basically what they're doing is they're making excuses for not doing the work the Lord has given them. The, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. It has if He told you to rebuild it. Can I just tell you, it doesn't matter what the interest rate is when God tells you to rebuild His house. It doesn't matter what the loan amount is when God tells you to rebuild His house. It doesn't matter what else you got on the plate that day when God tells you to rebuild His house. When God gives you a job to do, you get after it. Don't be shocked when your flesh or the enemy tries to stop you from serving the Lord with some of the same tactics that we see in Haggai. Look at what, they have a good excuse, to be honest. If we're just rating excuses, their excuses are probably better than most of ours. So, so the land had laid desolate for 70 years, and they're trying to restart the farming system. Uh, the work was hard, the neighbors were coming against them, their crops had failed. It was actually so bad that their time as slaves in Babylon was actually looking like the good old days. But like I said a few weeks ago, we don't get a pass just because things get difficult. We're still called to be salt and light. We're still called to be the hands and feet of Christ. We're still called to take the gospel as it is to people as they are, even if things get tough. So basically, God is tired of their excuses. They're making excuses and not doing what He told them to do. I love what Billy Sunday said about an excuse. He said, it's the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. The skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Benjamin Franklin said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses who was good at anything else. You see, we can make progress or we can make excuses, but we can never do both at the same time. So their defensiveness, all right? That's their side of the house. Now let's look at his documentation. Verses 5 and 6, you see God keeps receipts. He kept receipts on them because they have not repented of their disobedience and done what He's calling them to do. He does the same thing for you and I. If you live in disobedience, God remembers. And until you repent of that disobedience, He will always remember. Look at verse 6. Again, I told you, this is how He lays it out. He tells them, think carefully about your ways. We're going to talk about that in another sermon, uh, because He says it again in verse 7. But He's basically telling them, examine yourselves. Look, Look at how you have lived. And here's what He lays out for them. He says, you've planted much, but you've harvested little. Now, what that is, is speaking to starting well, but not finishing. You planted much. You had all the best of intentions when you started out, but you didn't finish well. You didn't follow up on the crops. You didn't water and fertilize and pull weeds. And maybe you didn't even harvest. Maybe you didn't go out there because you were too preoccupied. James Boyce said, I do not know of any passage in the Bible that better describes the feverish yet ineffective activity of our own age than this. You have planted much, but harvested little. In other words, you've been busy, but not about anything that means anything. In the South, we'd say they run around like a chicken with their head cut off. So he says, you eat, but you're never satisfied. It speaks to a lack of contentment. Can I just, I think we suffer from a a deficiency of contentment in this country, in the American church especially. I'm not talking about complacency now. Complacency is the enemy of productivity, but contentment 
Godly contentment is great gain. Paul said, I've learned in whatever situation I find myself in to be content. He said, I've had much and I've had little and I can do all of the things high and low. I can do all of that through Christ who gives me strength. That is contentment. He said, you put on clothes but you never have enough to get warm. That speaks to a lack of satisfaction. I'm just never satisfied. God gives me something and I go, eh. He gives me more and I go, eh. It's just never finding satisfaction in what God has called you to do, what God has given you to do. It says you put your wages in a bag with a hole in it. That sounds like my life, actually. Every time I look at my check, I see how much the government gets, and I think the government's putting all that money in a bag with a hole in it. Amen? Like, y'all take a lot of money from me. I don't see what y'all are doing with it, but you just keep taking it, so maybe you're putting it in a bucket with a hole in it. I don't know. But what he's speaking to specifically here is a wasteful lifestyle. Where it's like you drop a dime and won't bend over to pick it up. He's like, no, you need to, that's, that's, let me just tell you this. All right, this, this ain't in the sermon, it's free. Daylight savings time's gone away, I get an extra hour to preach, amen? amen. Whose money is it? What, what would it do? Would it change our mindset if we thought about it as God's money? So, so I've got money, I'm going to put it in my pocket, and I drop a dime, and I go, ah, wait a minute, that's God's money. <laughs> I'm going to go back and pick it up. I'm about to get too old where I do that, but I'm going to find somebody younger than me and say, hey, pick that up for me. <laughs> All of these point to the fact that they were working for the wrong things and missing out on the blessings of God. Warren Wiersbe said, an affluent generation of Christians that is wasting God's generous gifts on trivia and toys we'll have much to answer for when the Lord returns. Let me read that again. That ought to scare us. An affluent generation of Christians, by the way, that's us, especially compared to the first century church, we have done, more, we have done less with more than they did ever. An affluent generation of Christians that is wasting God's generous gifts on trivia and toys will have much to answer for when the Lord returns. Y'all do know we're going to give an account. He's going to judge based on who is saved and lost. But the ones who are saved, who get in, we're going to stand in judgment. And I believe we're going to be judged primarily on our priorities. Did you live a life of obedience? Did you live a life of self-sacrifice? Did you live a life of putting Christ first? Or did you live a life of just trying to get in? There's a long passage where Jesus preaches specifically, I believe, to the sense of these priorities and a problem with our priorities. It's in Matthew 6, 25-34. I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to point out four big questions that He asks in this passage. I would beg you, find time and read this passage this week and just ponder these things. Matthew 6, 25-34. He starts out and He's saying, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about your body, what you're going to wear. And he asked the first of these pointed questions. <clears throat> he says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Again, speaking to priority. If you're only focused on what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, where do you fit God into that? Now, I'm not saying to run around starving and naked. What I'm saying is, if you make God a priority, you let that other stuff just fall where it falls. He says, consider the birds, they don't reap or sow, but the Heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks a second of these pointed questions. He says, aren't you, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, aren't you worth more than a bird? Anybody here feel like you're not worth a bird? 
My goodness. I know some people ain't worth a plug nickel. They're still worth a bird. <laughs> He's saying, aren't you, doesn't God value you more than these little sparrows? If God values you more than a sparrow, why do you think he's going to let you suffer in vain? Why do you think he's going to just forget about you? He's not. And then he asked the third question. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? I'm, I'm a third generation worry wart. At least three. I didn't know my great grandfather, but on my dad's side, my granddad and my dad were, man, listen, I mean good at it. Like they could worry about stuff that you wouldn't even think about. My grandfather was either 79 or just turned 80. He was cutting hair five days a week. He would cut hair. He would, he would turn the sign around and say, be back or gone to lunch. He would go back in the house. He would sit down and eat a quick lunch. He would go out in the backyard and work on his garden, okra and, and peas and beans. He would come back in. He would, he would wash up. He would put his little white button-up shirt back on. He would go back in there and cut hair. And people would come in and say, hey, Mr. Cobb, you doing all right? I don't know. I probably won't be around much longer. You're 80. You're cutting hair five days a week. You're going okay. Why, why do you have this deterministic, ah, probably I'd be dead tomorrow. Okay, but you're in better health than I am. Me and Jamie had this conversation the other day. Jamie's like, well, I'm 82. I said, Jamie, I'll take your 82 over my 51. If you put both of us in a doctor's office and you run all the blood work and lab work and say, pick the 82-year-old, I'm probably getting picked. But his point is, you can't change what God is going to do. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Worrying about what you're going to do, worrying about... Listen, I know some of you have bad diagnosis that you've been given from doctors. Your worry only exacerbates that diagnosis. It will never improve it. You can't add a moment to your life through worry. It says, and why you worry about clothes? The wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, but they look more beautiful than Solomon. Then he says this in verse 30. This is the fourth question. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? If God values you more than birds, and yet he takes care of the birds, if he values you, surely maybe you thought to yourself, Brother Kevin, I just don't think I'm worth a sparrow. You're worth grass. You're worth weeds. Right? You feel more valuable. Anybody here feel less valuable than a weed? Okay, good. Enjoy your lunch on that. So if, if he values us more than the, the grass of the field, the, the weeds, the wildflowers, if he takes care of them, what makes you think he won't take care of you? So he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. The Gentiles eagerly seek these things, but your heavenly Father knows what you need. Here's the key. Two verses here, 33 and 34. First, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. What does that speak to? Seek what? First, priority. Your priority is not to worry. Your priority is not to think about what are you going to eat or what are you going to wear or where are you going to go. Your priority is to seek first the kingdom of God. If you will seek the kingdom of God, He will add to you whatever else you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. So he says in verse 34, Therefore don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worry about, uh, worry for, about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Don't borrow tomorrow's problems today. By the way, you know what the Bible also says? His mercies are new every morning. 
even if there are problems tomorrow, God already has mercies in place. Chica, He already has mercies in place for the problems that we haven't even arrived at yet. Prioritize Him and let Him handle the details. My dad had prostate cancer in his mid-50s. And again, a chronic worrier, it just sent his worry into hyperdrive. And he read some, he, they had the surgery, they, they felt like they got everything, they felt like it was really good, a really positive result, and my dad was just sitting around moping, and I said, Dad, what's the matter? And he said, well, I read, read an article the other day that said the average lifespan of a male after prostate cancer surgery is five years. How many of those guys in that, in that article's statistics were 98 when they had the surgery? Probably going to make it five years anyway. How many of them got hit by a bus, struck by lightning, eaten by a shark, swallowed by a python? I don't know. Why, why do you read that statistic and automatically think, I'm going to be dead in five years? I would read that statistic and go, I'm going to beat that. <laughs> hey, listen to me. And if I don't beat it, glory to God, I go to heaven. I say it time and time again. If you really know Christ, what can they threaten you with? Hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. And I get to see Jesus quickly? Ooh. But what it did to my dad is it took his alcoholism and it put it in hyperdrive. My dad was already a closet drinker. It just put him further in the closet and further in the bottle. My dad was 63 years old. He was getting ready for a test and he started bleeding. And so my mom took him to the ER and they ran some tests. And the doctor came in and said, Mr. Cobb, if you drink again, you'll be dead in six weeks. And if you, if you never drink again, you'll be dead in six months. You, your, your liver is shot. You have cirrhosis of the liver. Do y'all know that a couple months later, my dad passed away. He came to faith in Christ. I baptized my dad two months before his funeral. And I know where he is. But can I tell you that the, they did some tests while he was in the hospital? He was cancer-free. He didn't prioritize the things of God until it was too late for his earthly journey. Praise God, he found it, but he didn't find it until it was too late for this side of heaven. He drank himself to death over something that didn't exist. Why do you worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow's got enough worry on its own. You worry about tomorrow because you're putting your priorities in the wrong place. Some of you today are putting your priorities into worry. You're prioritizing worry, stress. Woe is me. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. You know why we don't sing that as a worship song? Because it ain't worshipful. It's deterministic and nothing in my scriptures is deterministic. What I see is there is hope. And his name is Jesus. God has a plan and a purpose for everyone who submits to the Lordship of Christ. We just have to make sure that on this side of heaven, nothing gets in between us and our God-given priorities. I want to be clear before we close today. I want to be clear. I am not saying that every follower of Jesus should live in squalor. I'm not saying that every no follower of Jesus should ever uh, exercise, work out, eat well, take cholesterol medicine, whatever. 
I'm not saying that every follower of Jesus should take a vow of poverty and sleep outside the church doors. I'm not. I'm telling you that you need to prioritize the things of God above the things of you. That you need to prioritize the things of God above everything else on your calendar. You want to save your marriage? Put Christ first. You want to save your kids? Put Christ first. You want, to, you want to do better in your job? Put Christ first. If you lose that job, he'll give you a better one. Just put Christ first. You want to see God move in this church? Every one of you put Christ first. Our priorities is where we find most of our problems. It was true in the book of Haggai. It's true today. So the invitation today is very simple. It's just simply this. I want you to examine your priorities. Actually, what I really want you to do is allow the Lord to examine your priorities. I want you to ask Him to get your priorities in line with His mission. He has given you a mission. If you woke up today with a heartbeat, you were on mission for the King of Kings. Make sure that you know what that mission is and put that mission number one above everything else. The great poem by C.T. Studd, uh, Studd, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I've asked you a bunch of questions today. I gave you four questions that Jesus asked in Matthew 6. I'm going to give you one big question. Do your priorities line up with God's purpose for your life? Do your priorities line up with God's purpose for your life? Would you stand with me? Every time we gather here, every time the Word is preached, every time we worship, you have an opportunity to come to the front of this church during our time of response and say that you want to follow Jesus. If you're not a follower of Christ and something has pricked your heart today, you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you, you can come today and repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ. Jesus said, if you deny me before me and I will deny you before my Father, you have to make it public. You can do that today. If you have followed Christ and you've been convicted about your priorities and you know that they're out of whack and you want to rededicate your life to Him, you can do that today. You can join our church at this time. Come up here and talk to me. All that stuff is on the table. But I don't want anybody to walk out of this building today. I don't want anybody to log off of Facebook or YouTube. I don't want anybody to walk away from this message and not take an opportunity to say, God, search me, examine me, show me anywhere in my life that my priorities don't line up with your priorities for me. So I'm going to say a short prayer. While I pray, I'm asking you to ask the Lord to search your heart, test your priorities, and make sure they're where they need to be. And when I say amen, if you need to come and pray, you need to come and make a decision, you can do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this glorious word. God, I pray that you would move among us. God, I pray that you would start with me. Lord, I know there's times when my priorities get shifted and twisted. I pray that you would break that. I pray that you would always and forever be number one, that I would never lose sight of what you put me here to do. God, maybe I'm not the only one. Maybe there's somebody else here today that would say, I need to get my priorities in line. God, we give you this time. We, we, we just ask that you would move. We ask that you would convict us where our priorities are not where they need to be. And I pray that you would change us for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.